Welcome to episode 80 of the MMA Rundown Podcast. Not a ton of topics this week, but there's a lot of meat to what we are covering. So first things first is the main event between Brian Ortega and Korean Zombie. A fantastic performance by Brian Ortega. We'll talk about everything that happened within that fight relative to what was expected and where each of those fighters is going to go from here. Then I'll recap the rest of the UFC Fight Island 6 card. Preview the upcoming card this week, the pay-per-view that will be headlined by Khabib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje. Um, from there, a few fights that were announced, uh, one of them being a title fight with Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling, but I'll talk about the other fights that were announced this week. We've got a little bit of a follow-up on a story from last week, which was Joaquin Buckley's KO. Uh, now that we've had about a week to, to let that video circulate, we've got some numbers. It's not as though these are final numbers, but it's about as close as we're going to get to final numbers, I feel like. After the first week, it kind of dies down a lot. Uh, so I'll talk about how many times that KO was viewed on Twitter. And then the last thing will just be a, a couple of MMA slash grappling notes that came uh, over the week on the campaign trail. It seems as though Donald Trump has really reached into the MMA and even wrestling communities to, to get a lot of support. So there's a story with Dan Gable getting the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and then there's also Jorge Masvidal getting a lot of uh, publicity lately, not only for the events that he's done, but for uh, some stuff that he said. He's gotten his speech shared a lot, and Donald Trump himself has really made an effort to thank him, so I'll talk about that. But back to the top, we have Brian Ortega versus Korean Zombie, and this fight just completely surprised me, uh, especially with how Brian Ortega was able to fight on the feet. To some extent, some of the stuff that I expected from this fight was the case in that I didn't think that Brian Ortega's wrestling was going to be at a level where he's going to be able to take Zombie down and get him into any submissions. Um, I didn't think that in the time that they did have grappling exchanges that he would catch Zombie. I mean, it's a possibility, but I figured that Zombie is a very good grappler at this point. Uh, if he's not a black belt, he's definitely at a black belt level. And I figured that it'd be difficult for Ortega to catch him in the brief exchange that they would have. To that extent, that was the case. Um, there were a few times when they went to the ground, a couple times when Ortega was able to briefly take Zombie down, uh, was looking for guillotines a, a couple times. Zombie did a good job of avoiding him. And as a result, the grappling just wasn't there for Ortega. What I didn't expect is that in the time that they would be on the feet, that Ortega would have so much success and pretty much win every round on the feet. And a big part of the reason why is because what we saw from Ortega was just completely different from what I've seen from Ortega in the past. And you just have to feel for Zombie to an extent in that you go into this fight preparing for an orthodox fighter, a guy who leaves a lot of openings to be caught, a guy who sometimes can be a little bit too aggressive for his own good. When you look at Korean Zombie, what's where he's so good, he's an excellent counter-striker, um, excellent at sliding out of the way to one of one of your punches and then coming back with a couple of his own. And for the most part, Ortega was nowhere near as aggressive as he had been, has been in the past, at least not as reckless when he has been aggressive, at least not reckless in his attacks. Um, instead of being the normal orthodox, mostly boxer that we've seen in the past, we got a southpaw Muay Thai fighter uh, who's fighting with a much wider stance. It was just completely different from Ortega, much different look than what we've expected, the southpaw stance being the most noticeable, noticeable thing, but just the strikes that he was using and his how he was defend, defending himself was kind of unique as well. Um, not leaving the openings that he had in the past. So for the Korean zombie, you go into this fight looking at a bunch of tape of Ortega, you have a rough idea of what you're going to expect, and you get absolutely nothing like what you've been looking at. For Ortega, you've been doing a lot of film study on Korean zombie, and for the most part, you got what you were expecting. But with that being said, it's still not an easy guy to beat. Korean zombie has really improved a lot over the course of his career from the time that he was known as the Korean zombie, the guy who would always get in these brawls and sometimes would win, sometimes would lose, uh, had some bad knockout losses on his record like to George Roop. Um, I think he actually technically lost that fight to L Leonard Garcia the first time around. Obviously, he finished him the second time. Uh, to where he's at now, we're very high-level grappler, excellent boxing, excellent counter-striker, uh, really good power as well. 
And so to beat a guy like that, it really it, it takes a lot, and especially for a guy like Ortega who wasn't able to really implement his grappling game for him to be able to win this fight on the feet and to do so so dominantly was just shocking. Now, from Korean Zombie's standpoint, what he was saying is that after he took that elbow in the second round, that he was just kind of running on autopilot at that point, which, I mean, even still, Korean Zombie on autopilot is still a difficult striker to deal with, but it definitely didn't help him, especially since he was in this position where he's fighting a, an opponent who's nothing like what he expected. He's fighting the southpaw who's trying to fight long, who's not overextending himself too much, uh, who's not throwing too many big combinations to, to get himself caught in, in the pocket, usually a quick punch and then getting out of there. Uh, doing a really good job with his footwork to circle out of the way and not get caught up against the fence or anywhere else. Uh, so for Zombie, it was one of those things where it was like he, he had to be mentally there the whole time to be able to make his adjustments to a completely different fighter than what he, he was expecting. And apparently getting rocked and put in a point where he's having a fight on autopilot made it all, all the more harder on him. Um, but in the first round, he was doing okay before he got dropped. Now granted, that drop, it was one where he threw a kick, the kick got caught, and he got punched, so it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, it, it was probably more of him being knocked off balance than him actually, like, being hurt. Uh, but that being said, you get knocked down with a punch, it's still not a good look for you, so that probably cost him the first round. Second round, he was doing relatively well up until he got caught with that spinning elbow, uh, but then from there, Ortega had him close to getting finished. Um, Zombie was able to survive there, get back up, and be okay, but then from there, Ortega was just picking him apart. Anytime Zombie would try to get in close, Ortega would just stick him with the jab. Uh, keep him at range, wasn't giving him too many opportunities to slide out of the way and land his own counters. Now, with that being said, there were a lot of hard shots that Zombie landed, but it, it would be like one or two here and there, and it just wasn't enough. He wasn't able to chain together all that much. And we saw in the hallway fight that Brendan Ortega has a great chin, and Zombie landed some really hard shots. If you look at Ortega's face after the fight, he was definitely he, he was definitely busted up a little bit, but he took those shots well, never looked like he was that close to being finished, never looked like he, never looked like he was that hurt. And as a result, he ends up getting the win here. So for Ortega... It seems as though he's in a pretty tight window right now. We don't have an exact date yet for the Ayer versus um, Zabit fight. If that fight does get set, Ortega's really going to want this fight to be booked before that fight because this is one of those what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of sports. And while right now it's fun to say, okay, Brian Ortega has that title fight locked up for good, uh, no chance he's losing it. If he doesn't have that fight actually locked up on paper... And then someone looks really good in that Yair versus Zabit fight, there's a decent chance that they're going to slide ahead of him. So if Brian Ortega is going to get the next title shot, which is what everyone's talking about right now, he's actually going to have to get, the, get that signed before the before that other fight between Zabit and Yair. Uh, now that being said, Zabit and Yair have been booked like five different times, and that fight hasn't actually happened. Uh, we don't exactly have a date right now, as far as I know, for the next booking. So it's not as though it's a rush for this has to be done like the next week or two, but... He's definitely going to want to make sure it gets handled soon so he actually can get that fight booked against Volkanovski, but it seems like that's the plan right now for him, is that he will fight Volkanovski. For the Korean Zombie, it's not entirely clear what's next for him. Uh, They get knocked down a couple times in this fight, so you're not going to want him to come back immediately. Uh, As far as what they do want from him, it's tough because Max Holloway and Calvin Cater are both guys who, to an extent, might make sense. Um, there was a tweet today that came up from Calvin Cater's management saying that there's big news coming and that Christmas is coming early. I can't imagine that's Calvin Cater being signed to fight Korean Zombie. Could it mean that he's about to fight Max Holloway? That's a possibility. If it is, then that takes those two out of it and sort of makes it questionable as far as who's next for Korean Zombie. But assuming that either of them are available, either of those fights could work. But if not, maybe you look at a guy like Dan Ige, for example. Uh, I don't know if you go Edson Barboza versus Korean Zombie. That'd be a great fight, but <laughs> Korean Zombie's... Just took enough damage as it was. I don't know if he wants to get right back in there right away with that Zimbarboza, but that's a fight that potentially could be made if either of those two are not available. Um, so I, either way, that's going to be what he'll be looking at right now. But I think for him, he just needs to heal up first, get an idea of 
where he's at physically, and then once he has a rough idea of when he'll be available again, that's when he can start looking at opponents. But assuming that he can come back within the next three months or the next four months, Holloway and, and Qatar are probably going to be the first two guys you look at. If those two are going to be signed to fight each other, then maybe you look further down, like Edson Barboza, or you look at someone like Dan Ige. Uh, for the rest of the card, in the coming event, we had a fight between Caitlin Chukagian and Jessica Andrade. I expected Chukagian to be able to win this fight from a distance and not not get too crowded up by Andrade. Andrade was able to, to close the distance a couple times early. Uh, got a couple takedowns when she got on top. Wasn't super effective. Uh, I think the first time she got on top, I had to fight out a couple of different submission attempts before eventually um, clearing the position and then them eventually getting back up to the feet. But up against the fence towards the end of the first round, it looked like a really short right hand. I'm not sure if it was one of those things where it just kind of caught Chukagan as she was like in the middle of exhaling or what was going on right there. But for whatever the whatever the case may be, that shot obviously hurt her. Uh, so she kind of like I don't know that she made a noise, but she she like opened her mouth out, out like she was about to yell, uh, spun around, turned around, was clearly hurt. Andrade chased right after her, uh, landed a huge right hook to the body that ended up dropping Chukagan. Chukagan was just kind of in a turtle waiting for something to happen uh, with five seconds left in the round, and that something wasn't the ref allowing her to sit there for five four more seconds. It was the ref stepping in and calling a stop to the fight. So Andrade gets a big win here. Chukagan didn't have a very great showing in her in her fight against Valentina Shevchenko, so it's not as though a win here would have put her back in the title picture right away. I think she still needs to get a few more wins and win impressively for her to even be talked about in that position. But for Andrade, now that she's beaten a, a top-ranked girl in the division, it puts her right towards the top of the division right away. Now, we had a similar situation before, where Jessica I was one of the top girls in the division, and then Cynthia Calvillo ends up bumping up, fights her, beats her, and now all of a sudden Calvillo's a top-five fighter in the division. Uh, so we have a similar situation here with Andrade. Uh, right now, Jennifer Maya is getting that title fight against Valentina Shevchenko. I'd imagine Shevchenko will win that fight. Um, but from there, you could potentially be looking at a fight where the winner of Calvillo and Andrade gets the title fight. Uh, or it can just be one of those things where it depends on who's open and what the health is looking like for both of these fighters. Because with Valentina Shevchenko, the reason why she hasn't fought in a little while is because she did actually have some health issues and need to take some extra time. So if that's still the case, then you would figure depending on how this fight goes, you you would hope that she's coming in 100%, but sometimes they're not, and if Shevchenko isn't coming in 100%, she gets banged up a little bit. Uh, there might need to be a little bit more time where you can't slot in the next title fight right away, and you have to have a couple contenders fight for, for the next spot. fight before that, we had Jimmy Crute versus Modestus Bukowskis. Uh, Crute just brutalized Bukowskis with a knockout here. Uh, Bukowskis was trying to throw a lead switch kick. Crute timed it perfectly, just stepped in with a huge overhand right. Drop Bukowskis. I'm surprised Bukowskis was able to get up as quickly as he did, but right as he gets up, he takes another heavy shot. Uh, gets knocked right back down again. Um, is up against the fence, not really defending himself all that well. Ref steps in. Uh, sort of an awkward end where Jimmy Crude immediately like decides that he just wants to sit down right next to him while Bukowskis is still kind of kind of frazzly and not exactly sure where he is. I, I get the idea that it's like a, a sign of respect, but I just didn't feel like that was the right timing for it. It's kind of awkward, but either way. Big win for Crude. He calls out Nikita Krylov next. He's probably going to rank to the top 15 after this fight. Uh, so hopefully that's the fight that they make. It'll definitely be an exciting one if they make it. Um, but great showing from Crude. Uh, for Bukowskis, I think he's 1-1 one one in the UFC right now. Uh, had that knockout win in Fight Island a few months ago. Uh, so this isn't going to mean the end of his run in the UFC at all. But definitely not, not the way you want to lose your first fight in the UFC. Or take your first loss in the UFC is what I mean. Fight before that was a really interesting one. Claudio Silva is one of those guys where, if you look at his record, it's 
just outstanding, but he hasn't been fighting a ton. Uh, his lack of activity has definitely been a problem for him, not exactly being as well-known as he probably should be. But he does have a win over Leon Edwards on his record. Was undefeated in the UFC prior to this fight. Excellent jiu-jitsu guy. Aggressive on the feet. Not exactly the most technical, but has been good enough to beat everyone else who he's fought in the UFC up to this point. Goes in there against James Krause, who is a really difficult matchup for a high-level jiu-jitsu guy. Um, just beat Sergio Marais. Krause is a very good black belt himself, so he's one of those guys where it's like, even if you can take him down, uh, it's not exactly easy to pass his guard and dominate him and get, get close to finishing him. Uh, so you have that. But then also on the feet, he's a, a very well-rounded striker as well. So if, if you're mostly a jiu-jitsu specialist and you can't do much on the ground and he's going to outstrike you on the feet, it's sort of a difficult matchup. And that's what Silva found here. He had a real big difficulty in getting Kraus to the ground. There were a couple times when he sort of had Kraus somewhat grounded and then was sort of trying to take his back from standing and sort of drag him to the mat from there. But Kraus was able to get away. And then on the feet, Kraus was definitely the more technical striker here and had a lot of success. Was landing some really, really heavy right hands throughout the entirety of the fight. Uh, starting the much straighter punches and the much quicker punches. He wasn't. He was usually waiting for Silva to come in so he can counter him. So I think like the punch stats made it seem a little bit closer than it was. But the shots that Cross was landing were just some really heavy shots, really hard shots. Uh, Silva's got a great chin for him to be able to eat those. Uh, surprised that he looked as tired as he was early on in the fight and was able to keep up a decent pace for the rest of it. Um, but Cross definitely did enough to win this fight and he gets the win here. Um, likely towards ACL, according to what he was saying after eating a leg kick early in the fight. And so he'll probably be out for a while. He was planning on being out for a while anyway, so he can coach. Um, but it's kind of a bummer with Kraus in that his skill level is very high. He's definitely a guy who's got the skill level to be a top 15 fighter. But it, it just seems like he's not treating his career like like most top 15 fighters who who prioritize their career would. Uh, it seems as though he's definitely prioritizing his coaching over his fighting right now. Which I, I get it. Coaching is important. You definitely want to give that priority. But you're going to be able to coach for most most of the rest of your life. Um, being an elite fighter is something you can only do in a short window, and I kind of feel like he should be giving a little bit more focus to himself. I understand that he wants to be a good coach for his fighters too, but I'm sure he has other guys on his staff who can who can sort of step in for him at times and allow him to also prioritize his own career. And it, it seems like he's sort of missing out there because his, his skill level is very high. I just don't know what his ceiling is going to be if he keeps finding himself just taking these short notice fights against unnamed fighters. Uh, sometimes he gets wins. Um, and big ones like this over Claudia Silva, which means a lot more to people who understand how good Claudia Silva is um, than people realize because Claudia doesn't have the biggest name. Uh, but sometimes he also takes losses like the one Trevin Childs up at middleweight uh, that doesn't exactly do a whole lot for his career. So he'll have to make a decision on his own what he wants to do. I, I really would like to see him try to get the most out of out of his abilities and get as high up in the UFC as he possibly can. But if coaching is something he enjoys that much more, then that's up to him. It, He's his own man. He knows he knows what he's dealing with and he'll have to make those decisions for himself. The fight before that was Jonathan Martinez versus Thomas Almeida. It had been a while since we'd seen Almeida. Um, looked pretty similar to the Almeida we've seen in the past. Um, wasn't as flashy in this fight as we've as we've seen in other, in other fights, but part of that was because Martinez was doing a good job of touching him up from range. Uh, so Martinez does enough to slightly outstrike him in this fight, gets the win. On the prelims, the... Final fight on the prelims was a really good fight between two guys who might eventually both find themselves in the top 15 at lightweight, which is saying a lot because the light, lightweight division is a fantastic division. Uh, but we had Guram Kutuladze, who looked really good on the feet, um, just throwing some super heavy kicks, uh, slaying some really nice punches as well when he got taken down, was attacking off his back uh, and making it really difficult on Gamrod, who is an ADCC veteran from this year, um, won the European trials to make ADCC, and then 
unfortunately got matched up with Gary Tone in the first round, and that didn't, didn't exactly go great for him. But even still, to make it to ADCC um, by winning the trials is is very impressive, and he had done that. Um, but part of this as well, he was 17-0 in MMA, former KSW champion. So for him to lose his fight immediately in the UFC and take his first MMA loss, it's got to be kind of tough for him in that he, he was so used to winning for all this time and takes a loss immediately in the UFC. Um, but for Kutaladze, to beat a guy like Gamera, that's really impressive. He, he didn't seem to think he won. I, I thought he had done enough to win this fight, uh, especially since whenever he would get taken down, he wasn't exactly like getting beating up, getting beaten up all that bad or or giving up too many good positions. For the most part, he was attacking off his back. Even if he wasn't catching submissions, he was still um, doing a good enough job, job to create space and get back up to his feet and really neutralize any of the offense that could have come from Gamert when he got on top. So I actually thought that Kutaladze had done enough to win this fight. Um, but either way, just what I saw from Kutaladze, really impressed with him. He's a, a tough fighter no matter where the fight goes. Uh, for Gamrot, pretty solid striking. Uh, wrestling looked pretty good in this fight. And his jiu-jitsu kind of speaks for itself just based on the success he's had within the jiu-jitsu world. And it seems as though in KSW he's also had a lot of success on the ground as well. So it's not as though he's only successful at jiu-jitsu in jiu-jitsu matches. He's also been successful with it in MMA fights. Uh, so I definitely would like to see him more and see how he does. Uh, but before that, we have Julian Robertson versus Pauliano Batalio. Uh, Robertson had some difficulty in the first round getting a first takedown, but eventually was able to get a takedown and dominate from top position and was able to do that in the second and third rounds as well and win a decision here. Um, fight before that, we had Jun Young Park versus John Phillips. Phillips, as we had mentioned back with the Chamaya fight, is pretty much just a brawler, not exactly the most technical striker, definitely not a great wrestler, definitely not a great grappler. Um, but I guess that style was enough for him to get like a 21 or 22 and 9 record prior to the Jemiah fight. And that was enough for him to get in the UFC apparently. But Jemiah takes him down, just batters him from the ground. Junior Park also takes him down, batters him from the ground. Uh, some people were joking around how this takes away from the luster of Jemiah's win over John Phillips. I don't know about that. Jemiah also had a similar win against Reese McKee that was really impressive. And it wasn't just that he took him down and beat him up, it was sort of the, the process by which he did it. Um, just the the takedown off of the head kick was really impressive. Uh, the way he was doing risk, he was managing risk control, switching his submission attempts. He definitely looked more impressive in the pro, in this process than what Junior Park did. But either way, it's not as though we have to take it away from take anything away from Junior Park. He did a good job here, uh, got the win and deservedly so. Before that was Faraz Ziem versus Jimmy Malarkey. Pretty close fight. Uh, Ziem did enough in the third round to to steal it at that point, but it like it was about it looked like it was one one heading into the third and. ZM was able to get top position a few different times, uh, landed some heavy strikes as well, and that was enough for him to get the win. Uh, Max Grishin versus Gadzi Murad, Gadzi Murad Antigolov. Sort of a weird fight. Grishin was pretty passive for much, much of the fight, but was starting to find his, his spots or find his shots later on in the fight. Um, had Antigolov hurt late in the second round, uh, and then started on corking right, left, right, left, right, left. Antigolov was just shelling up, up against the fence again. It was one of those things where it's like. His byline would show that he was just sort of waiting for someone to step in and stop it, whether it was going to be the clock or whether it was going to be the ref calling a stop to the fight. And so with two seconds left in the round, ref comes in, stops it, and Antigolov looked a little bit annoyed, but with that being said, I, I didn't have any issue with the stoppage at all. And then the first fight in the car was Said Nurmagomedov against Mark Striegel. Striegel came in. Uh, I believe it was his kick that got caught. Um, after his kick was caught, Nurmagomedov landed like a, a quick left hand. Uh, drops Striegel, and then from there, just some brutal ground and pound, just pretty much beating his head through the mat. Uh, ref steps in, stops the fight when, in less than a minute for a knockout for Saeed Nurmagomedov. Apparently, this one is not related to Khabib. Uh, also, unlike Khabib, he was more of a striker than a grappler, but has had some good showings early on in his UFC career, and this was a great showing right here. 
So that covers it for UFC Fight Island 2. Uh, now for the upcoming card this week, we'll, it will be headlined by Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. A lot of talk's been had about this fight. Uh, I hate to have to mention it right now because... Well, you know what? I, I made a similar statement with the Ortega versus Zombie fight saying that I wasn't so sure that fight was going to happen. I was concerned that something could ruin it. And then the fight ended up happening and ended up being a great fight. So let's just do the same thing again and hope that the same thing happens where we get a good fight. But there was a report that had come out where someone within Khabib's camp had to say this fight is still 100% on. Nobody ever says that about fights that no one's asking that sort of question about. So it's kind of like, well, why are you mentioning that in the first place? So just going to put that out there that there were some, some mentions of people in Khabib's camp having to say, no, 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 this fight 100% will happen. I don't know, again, I don't know why they feel the need to say that. I don't know what that's referencing and why the question was asked in the first place where they're having to make that st- make that statement. But that is what I am hearing right now on Sunday, six days before the fight. So let's hope that the fight actually happens because if it doesn't, that's just going to hold up the lightweight division for a while. Um, I, I guess if it doesn't, then you can do an interim title fight with Michael Chandler and just engage you at that point if Khabib's, the, if Khabib's side is the issue. But... I, I want Khabib versus Gaethje. Michael Chandler, I'd like to see him fight in the octagon, but if I would prefer it not be this week. If we get Chandler versus Khabib, okay, decent fight, but I would much rather see Gaethje versus Khabib, so let's hope that's what we get here. But, assuming that is what we get here, I, I've talked about this fight a lot in the past. I don't know that I have anything new to add on to it since then. Um, for, for Gaethje, on paper, this should be a very winnable matchup in that he's... He was a guy who was incredibly difficult to take down in his college wrestling career. Uh, tough guy to hold down as well. Wasn't exactly able to make it to the All-American level by just taking guys down and attacking them. Uh, it was more so that he was hard to take down, event, would catch like a takedown or two in a match, uh, and, and score just enough, but he'd be so hard to score on that people would have trouble beating him uh, rather than him just blowing out all of his opponents. So, assuming that he can take this fight in a similar manner and still be a guy who's very difficult to take down, then you would figure, okay, the more this fight stays takes place on the feet, the more that's going to benefit Justin Gaethje. And I'm sure it could be feels the same way. Is it possible that if this fight ends up on the feet for a little while that Khabib could win some of those exchanges? It's possible. I mean, he's done that in the past where he just spams jabs out there and people um, just waiting for him to shoot after the jab, just kind of like take the jab and wait for the next thing to come and nothing comes. And they, they take another jab and wait for something else to come and nothing comes. And then they take another jab and wait for a shot to come and the shot never comes. And before you know it, they're just like eating like 10 jabs in a row without really landing much of their own. Uh, so maybe Khabib can have some time where he does that as well in this fight. But if it becomes clear early in this fight that Khabib's going to have trouble taking Justin Gaethje down, Gaethje's going to make some adjustments to that. And over time, he's going to feel more confident throwing more. He's not going to be constantly waiting on Khabib. And it's going to be a problem for him. So as we all know, it's, or pretty much as everyone will tell you, if this fight takes place on the feed and it takes place on the feed for a long time, it's going to favor Gaethje. And Gaethje's going to have a real shot to be the first guy to beat Khabib if Khabib was able to get Gaethje down. Gaethje, it's like a, it's thought about with him where people say that he doesn't have the best gas tank. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I think the guy fights at a very high pace. Um, you take anyone who's got a great gas tank. I mean, even Colby Covington is known for a great gas tank, but when he fought at a high pace against Kamaru Usman, who was looking pretty tired in the fifth round as well, uh, Gaethje doesn't exactly pace himself the best or hasn't paced himself the best in the past. Um, but recently he has been doing a better been doing a better job pacing himself he paced himself incredibly well in that tony bergerson fight and that's why he didn't look all that tired in the fifth round of that fight um so if he does get taken down and he can be patient at times and not overly exert himself immediately then it's one of those things where 
maybe taking that Conor McGregor strategy to an extent where it's like if you get taken down in the first round, just like don't give up too many dangerous positions where you're going to take too much damage or have to use too much energy. Um, maybe try to get him later on in the fight. If, if Gaethje does that, it'll definitely make things interesting here. But if Gaethje decides that the second he gets taken down, he has to treat it like a wrestling match and immediately fight to get back up, and Khabib does a good job of tying up his legs, tying up his wrists, uh, then there's definitely a chance that Khabib's going to be able to wear on him pretty quickly and we could see a finish relatively fast. Again, with Gaethje, we haven't seen a ton of grappling from him in his MMA career. We don't exactly know uh, how good his wrestling defense is within an MMA context in terms of being able to time time a sprawl after someone throws a shot in, or th- throws a strike and then shoots underneath. Uh, so that's definitely going to be something we're going to see. We're going to see how he's able to wrestle up against the fence, which is something that he obviously doesn't do in college wrestling or didn't have to do in college wrestling. Um, so, and, and then also his jiu-jitsu. We don't exactly know where that is offensively or defensively. So there's a lot that could potentially be learned about Gaethje if he does get taken down here. But if he's able to prevent the takedown, it's going to be really interesting to see how long Khabib is able to get away with the the jab, pretend to shoot, don't shoot, jab, pretend to shoot, don't shoot, up until people kind of get, or before Gaethje figures out what's going on there, is able to make some adjustments and starts laying some heavy shots around around the jab, starts slipping the jab, and then countering with a big right hand. It's going to be interesting. So these are my favorite fights. It feels like every time that Khabib fights at this point, especially when he's fighting a top lightweight, he's always going to be fighting a guy who's better than him in one area. So the question always becomes, is, is his opponent going to be able to put it the fight in that area typically that area is going to be striking um and then if not how's Gaethje going to be able to take them out of where they're where they're able to have a lot of success so I'm looking forward to this fight hope nothing happens to it that takes it away um and I guess that's kind of all all I mentioned on that to this point hopefully the next time I have to talk about this talk about this fight I'll be recapping the fight and exactly what happened in it fight that'll be in the coming event is likely going to be a title eliminator assuming that Adesanya doesn't fight a light heavyweight next uh but it'll be the fight between Robert Whitaker and Jared Cannonier. If Whitaker wins, I mean, I guess he's got a win over Taylor. He'd have a win over Cannonier at that point. So then you could call for the rematch. He did have a couple of successful title defenses beforehand. So it would make sense for him to earn that title fight. Granted, he didn't lose in the most impressive fashion when he fought Adesanya. But if he does get a win here, I think it definitely does make enough sense to put that fight together. I don't know where Australia or New Zealand are at in terms of allowing people in for them to put on a UFC event down there. Uh, or in terms of like having a crowd, obviously, if, if you're going to do the rematch. It would make the most sense to be able to do that in front of a stadium in Australia or in New Zealand. If they're not able to do that and they would have to make the rematch inside of the Apex, does the UFC want to just kick the ball down the field on that and say, hey, uh, maybe we can find something else for Adesanya to do in the meantime so we can preserve that that second fight for a live event in Australia or in New Zealand? Maybe that's what the UFC is thinking. Um, but for that to be an issue in the first place, Robert Whitaker is going to have to win this fight. He'll be going against Jerry Cannonier. Cannonier, incredibly powerful. Not exactly the most technical striker, but the guy hits incredibly hard, so it, it's one of those things where you don't want to get caught up in too many long exchanges with him. Uh, to an extent, Robert Whitaker doesn't tend to get caught up in the longest exchanges. A lot of times he likes to blitz in and sort of like throw one strike to sort of get someone's head leading off in one direction where he can land the shot that he's actually trying to land. Uh, if he blitzes in on Cannonier, he'll definitely be able to land some shots here and there. The question is going to be, is Cannonier going to be able to time him as he comes in? Um... Uh, again, this is a fight where I wouldn't bet on it just because I feel like both of these guys have a really good path to victory here. Uh, it seems as though there are a lot of people who think that this fight's definitely going to be going to Cannonier, that his power is going to be too much to, too much for Whitaker. I think Whitaker is a better shot maker than Cannonier is. I think Whitaker will be able to, to set up some really heavy shots that potentially could put Cannonier down. The question is going to be, is he going to get caught in the process before he's able to get the shot that he wants? Um, and if yes, then obviously Cannonier is going to be in a good position. He'll probably be able to get the finish. But if not... Um, 
then obviously the more technical striker, the, the craftier striker should have the advantage there. Uh, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, third fight on the card is going to be Alexander Volkov versus Walt Harris. Uh, Harris sort of fails upwards here after losing to Alistair Overeem. Uh, moves up, fights another guy who's ranked ahead of him here in Alexander Volkov. So good opportunity for him, but I don't really see him winning this fight. I think Volkov's going to pick him apart on the feet. Uh, probably there's going to be too much grappling in this fight. Uh, but even if there was, Walt Harris's grappling did not look good at all in his last fight against Alistair Overeem. Uh, Volkov's a pretty solid overall grappler. Uh, so I think Volkov should win this fight. Uh, we've got Philip Hawes versus Jake, Jacob Malkoon. Probably should be a prelim fight, but I guess with Islam Makhachev being taken off the card. Um, because RDA, who may or may not still have COVID at this point right now as I'm recording this, uh, had COVID a few weeks ago. Uh, that fight had to get taken off, and then no one else was able to step in and fight Makachev. Tony Ferguson didn't want to take it on a couple couple weeks' notice, which makes sense. Um, Michael Chandler didn't want to take it, even though he's already making way for this card, which is a bit of a bummer, but I guess if he's not going to accept it, he's already happy with the position he has. He's got that backup spot. I, I, I guess how mad could you really be at him? Uh, but that's what... That's where that fight ended up going. Um, fight before that, though, will be Lauren Murphy versus Lilia Shakirov. I feel like Murphy was supposed to fight someone else who's ranked high in the division. It might have been Calvillo, actually, uh, before she got before she dropped out. Um, so now she'll be fighting someone unranked in Shakiro, or Shakarova. And then it feels like this fight is just taking forever to get put back together. Um, but Magomed Ankalaya versus Ian Kutalaba is signed for this fight. Hopefully Kutalaba doesn't test positive for COVID a third time, and if he does... Uh, hopefully people realize that that test should probably be ignored at this point because I'm sure he's over it. I'm sure he's got the antibodies. I'm sure he's good to go. Um, for the prelims, we got the return of Taitu Ivasa. It seems as though he's returning just because the UFC was just short on heavyweights. I don't know. I mean, Tu Ivasa is an entertaining guy. The Shui is one thing that a lot of people remember from him. Um, but with that being said, his, re- his recent record in the UFC hasn't been great. Now he's fighting a guy in Stefan Struve who's not going to be an easy fight for him. I'd imagine that Struve would be able to pick him apart at a distance here and get the win on the feet. Uh, we got Alex Oliveira versus Shavkat Rachmanov, who is 12-0. Uh, I believe he's from Kazakhstan. Not particularly familiar with him, but 12-0 is pretty impressive, so we'll see how he looks here against a UFC veteran. Uh, Daun Jung versus Sam Alvey. Uh, should be a pretty fight, fun, light heavyweight fight. And then on the early prelims, right now it has Umar Nurmagomedov listed against Sergey Morozov. I'm pretty sure Umar had some sort of injury, had some sort of issue where he had to back out of this card. Uh, so I don't believe that fight's actually going to happen. Uh, we got Liana Jojua. Uh, pretty good arm bars off her back going against Miranda Maverick, a really good um, jiu-jitsu competitor and also a pretty good MMA fighter. I think she'll finally be making her UFC debut here. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if Maverick tries to take this fight to the ground and if she's able to avoid the arm bar of Jojua. Uh, Nathaniel Wood versus Casey Kenny's going to be a really fun fight. Probably could have been on the main card. I think this is a much better fight than the Philip Hawes fight. Um, but this will be an early prelim. And also we've got Joel Alvarez versus Alexander Yakovlev. Uh, so that covers it for UFC 254. Uh, next thing to talk about is fights that were announced this week. So we have a fight between Jan, Peter Jan and Aljamain Sterling that is finally announced uh, for the UFC Bantamweight title. So now that Marais versus Sandhagen fight took place and Marais did not get the win, it's pretty clear that Sandhagen wasn't going to should or at least should not have jumped over Aljamain Sterling. He didn't really make an attempt to do so either. Uh, so Sterling finally gets that title fight. I was talking about the possibility of maybe Henry Cejudo sort of floating around and that being a reason why that fight wasn't made. Maybe he is still floating around, but I guess at this point the UFC has finally put this fight together. They were really in need of a title fight for that December card after a couple other fights fell off, including the welterweight title fight between Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns. Um, so now they're making this fight the co-main event underneath the Megan Anderson versus Amanda Nunes fight, which is a bit of a head-scratcher. I guess it's the heavier weight class, but with that being said, it seems like Amanda Nunes has gotten a lot of really big opportunities to headline cards. The numbers just really haven't shown for it. Like When she headlines these cards, like UFC 200, where 
there's like a bunch of huge fights underneath it. The numbers look okay, but when she's headlining a card on her own, like UFC 250, uh, numbers just haven't been great. I don't. I, I would hope that Sterling versus John draws a lot of attention here, but I feel like Sterling versus John is going to sell better for the UFC than Megan Anderson versus Amanda Nunes. But as the heavyweight class, I guess they don't want to have people bitching about the fact that a 145-pound fight is underneath a 135-pound fight just because they're women. But let's be honest, like that that's just not a very interesting main event. Uh, another fight that was announced this week in the women's 125-pound division was between Jessica I and Joanne Calderwood. Uh, both girls were ranked pretty high and looked as though they were pretty close to title fights. I guess I had her title fight lost pretty badly, so even if she would have won against Calvillo, she probably wouldn't be getting a title fight right away. Uh, but either way, she did take that loss to Calvillo. And then Calderwood was just looking to get a win in the meantime so she could then take her fight. Um, so took a fight with Jennifer Maya and ends up losing the fight to Maya, loses her fight with Valentina Shevchenko as a result and just really disappointed for her, but with this opportunity against Jessica, if she gets another win, she'll probably find herself pretty similar, in a similar position to where she where she last was. Now, that being said, we do have Calvillo, who's in the division now. Uh, we do have Jessica Andrade as well, who's making a case for a title run, um, but if Calderwood gets a win here, uh, maybe her next fight will be against Jessica Andrade or against Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, so a big opportunity for her, depending on how that fight goes, uh, depending how the timing works out as well. Uh, we've also got an interesting fight with Anthony Smith, who I believe for the first time in a long time will not be fighting in a main or a co-main event. Uh, he's going to be fighting against Devin Clark. Uh, we've got a pretty good flyweight fight between Jordan Espinosa and Tim Elliott, and then a really fun fight at middleweight between Marvin Vittori and Jacare Souza. Um, I guess there's one more fight that I'll announce, too. Um, so Joaquin Buckley had that knockout last week where he get, gets his kick caught and then throws a spinning back kick, lands right in the face of Impa Sakanai and, and knocks him out. Uh, he does have another fight coming up. He'll be fighting against Jordan Wright. Um, but one other thing I wanted to mention with him was, at least on Twitter, I haven't looked at the Instagram numbers yet, but his knockout, the one that was posted to the UFC account, that one is now at 11.6 million views. Um, there was another video of it um, that sort of like split that picture, or split that video, and then they also put a video of someone in Tekken landing a similar kick. Uh, and then the Tekken account shared that as well. That particular video has over 850,000, or has around 850,000 views right now. Uh, and then... Kanye West, who is running for president right now and apparently is also making some music, um, was so pumped up by this fight that he decided to make a new song called Theme Music. Uh, and the video he posted to Twitter with that new song was pretty much just the Joaquin Buckley KO on loop. And that one is at 2.8 million views right now. So just a ton of people have seen this Joaquin Buckley knockout at this point. He obviously got the 50K uh, for the knockout of the night bonus. I would imagine he's getting some other bonuses on top of that, but. It, the UFC is really benefiting from from that video right now. A lot of a lot of people have seen it. Um, I wonder what kind of bump in numbers they got this week as a result of people who saw that knockout last week and wanted to tune in this week uh, that otherwise wouldn't have. Um, and we'll see if that also has any kind of effect on the upcoming fight that he's got or the upcoming fight the UFC has right now at UFC 254. Uh, but on top of that, I'll really be interested, be interested to see if that Joaquin Buckley versus Jordan Knight fight ends up getting put on a main card, maybe even like a co-main event, looking at how weak some of these cards are. Um, and if they do that, it'll be interesting to see what kind of viewership numbers they get there. But a lot of people have made initial impressions on this Joaquin Buckley video. The question now is going to be what the long-term effect is going to be. Is is he going to become a star from this, or are a lot of people going to know who he is? Um, or is this just going to be one of those knockout highlights that a lot of people remember the knockout more so than the person who did it? Um, and interest in Joaquin Buckley sort of wanes over time. So a lot of good things to look at right now, but over time we're going to have to see how this all, see how this all works out for both him and for the company. Last thing to talk about is a couple um, 
but both Hori Masvidal and Dan Gable are getting a lot of attention on the campaign trail right now. So Dan Gable, um, multiple-time NCAA, NCAA wrestling national champion at Iowa State, uh, Olympic gold medalist. Um, somewhat surprisingly, after all the success he had at Iowa State, goes to their biggest rival in the University of Iowa and coaches for them and has a fantastic career there as a coach, wins just multiple titles. I think there was like a run of like 11 or 13 straight national titles as well uh, before finally hanging it up in the late 90s. Uh, although he's still been active there, still lives in Iowa City, uh, still around that community a lot. Uh, back when I went to the University of Iowa, University of Iowa, I ran into ran into him a couple times. One time, uh, I was just like by a wrestling room and I looked in there, saw him like drilling in there on his own. Um, some other times, like at high school sports in the area, I saw him just there hanging out. Um, so great member of the Iowa City community still, even though he doesn't coach there anymore. Uh, still involved with the wrestling team, still involved with the wrestling program, um, but has definitely done a lot and is a legend in the sport, a- absolutely and is now getting the top civilian honor in the, in the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Uh, and that was announced pretty recently by Donald Trump. He ended up speaking in Des Moines at a Trump rally. Uh, and sometimes he'll be at the White House and receiving that medal, which is really cool for the, the sport of wrestling to have someone like Dan, Dan Gable get an award like that and hopefully for them they can, can get some other mainstream attention for their sport. But it's been a great sport for a long time. It feels like the UFC has done a lot to help the sport of wrestling um, by having a lot of great wrestlers come into the sport and have success. A lot of people have been take an interest in wrestling and wanted to watch it more, myself included. Um, so it's nice to see some more positive um, positive um, energy going towards the sport of wrestling. And it's good to see Danny Gable get this award. I wonder if Kale Sanderson at some point is going to get it as well for all the success he's had at Penn State. Uh, maybe John Smith as well. Uh, but it's cool to see Gable get that, and hopefully it's a sign of things to come for the sport. As for Masvidal, uh, he had a speech at this Fighters Against Socialism thing that ended up going viral where he was talking about uh, the struggles that his dad went through to to get out of a socialist country and why he doesn't want to see America turn into that. And a lot of people really, really liked that speech. Uh, so it got shared around a lot on conservative Twitter, uh, which helped get Masvidal's name out there even more. Uh, Donald Trump was then sharing the speech himself and thanking Jorge. Jorge was thanking him back. Uh, so it was just kind of cool to see Jorge get some similar attention to what we saw from Colby Covington. Back when Covington got the win over Tyron Woodley, he was getting a ton of attention uh, from conservative Twitter and getting a lot of mainstream attention, and we got to see a little bit of that for Jorge Masvidal here, too. Um, it'd be weird if those two end up having to fight each other, at least if that fight gets announced before the election, but it, it seems like that's a fight the UFC wants to make. Um, it'll be interesting to see how conservative Twitter handles that, because it'll be kind of funny to have like two of their heroes fighting each other and then like talking about each other with disdain in the process. Um, but it is cool that both of them are getting that attention, and hopefully it means that both of them are going to be bigger draws for their next fight moving forward. Uh, so that covers it for this week. Obviously next week I will be recapping UFC 254. If the main event is off, then that's not going to be a great card to recap, even though there, there are some decent fights on it. It basically becomes a fight night. Um, so let's hope that doesn't happen. Let's hope we actually do get the Khabib fight against Justin Gaethje. I really look forward to watching that. I really look forward to breaking down what happens in that fight. And then hopefully, if, if it is Khabib versus Gaethje, and Khabib gets the win, then we find out whatever the secret idea is that's supposed to be next for Khabib that isn't GSP, supposedly. Um, and that could be pretty interesting. So, covers it for this week. I'll be back next, and hope to be talking about that fight. I really do.